All right, AJ, we have five minutes on the clock again for another opt-in. Uh, this time I want to talk to you about uh, an on-demand that, that we're releasing at the same time with this, where you went through with a partner of ours, Grayson Fulbright, um, sort of the process that you had with a series we did for SD Revolution, where we tore down cold emails, rewrote them, broke them down, talked about the do's and don'ts, just really dive into art, um, destroying them, brought on, couldn't have said it better myself. Um, but you, you sat down with Grayson and, and talked about the lessons learned from that, some of the overarching things, some of the, the things you noticed, trends you saw, you know, get better or worse along the way. So I know I just sort of set the stage in a lot of different directions for you there, but from your conversation with Grayson, is there one or two main takeaways that you, you pulled out of it and you think are, are really important to have looking forward for future email prospecting? Yes, I have many. I have a lot of takeaways from this. We we did rewrite over 50 emails live during this series over the course of a little over a year. Um, so we saw a lot, a lot of what was good, a lot of what was bad, and a lot of where reps have areas for opportunity, how they can make some minor tweaks to their emails to get better reply rates. And that was kind of the big mantra of the series is that at the core the cold email doesn't really change all that much framework wise. It's where you slot specific things and sort of how you make transitions that really can make or break a cold email and minor changes, minor tweaks can really boost your reply rates. But the big three things that we noticed kind of going through the 54 ish, I think episodes that we recorded uh, revolved around targeting, adding actionable value and, um, catching attention and creating curiosity sort of beginning of an email and the big thing that i want to focus on is this idea of adding actionable value or adding value to an email because i think it's very ethereal right like you you probably hear it a bunch if you're an sdr or if, if you're a manager telling someone this email needs to be valuable if someone's going to read it and take action they have to find value but what does that mean like what does value really mean to somebody and the way that Grayson broke it down was, I think, pretty uh, easy to grasp, I guess. Like, it, it takes a pretty complex ethereal topic and, and distills it down into something that we can all understand. And he said that value needs to be relevant and actionable. If something is valuable, it needs to have relevance to me. This email was written for me. It's for my persona. It's something I can actually benefit from. And it needs to be actionable in that you're asking me to do something at the end of this email that isn't just let's hop on a call and take a 30 minute meeting. So the example that he used and something that we often did during our rewrites was having some type of proof of concept or audit associated as the CTA, where I'm here showing you that people like you, Alex Ellison, a marketing manager, suffer a particular challenge, a pretty common challenge in the industry. We solve that XYZ. I'd love to put together some type of audit for you to prove that we've done this for other companies. That's a way for me to show you, hey, this email's for you. It's relevant. It's something we can help you overcome. And the action for that is to go through the audit process and let me prove to you that it's something we could help with. I think that's missing in 99.99% of all of the emails that I get because almost all of them end with, when can we set up time for a call? I've been given virtually no reason to take a call with you other than 
I'm a name on your list. I loosely fit a persona and you think you can help me, but you've done nothing to add in any kind of credibility or authority that lets me go down that road and see a future state where if I do work with you, things get better. So I think that's like one of the big things that I pulled away from. This. Yeah. And that that's such a good takeaway. And, and one thing I will say is I've noticed people trying to do those things more, right? I'll get an email with maybe it's like a personalized first line, but it's not really personalized or like they messed something up about it. But you're like, well, you're trying, but, and, and that's where I think you can't lose like the relevance. The relevance is for the person you're sending it to. It's not about whether it's relevant to you. You don't have anything to do about it. I want, this is one of Grayson's main points too. So I want to dive too into it so you can watch the webinar, but it, it's really about gearing it for the prospect, right? If I get an email that says we've helped Amazon and Microsoft and Meta, I'm not interested because demand drive is nothing like those companies. There's nothing relevant, but they're like, well, if we can work with these big boys, we can work with you too. Like that, that might make sense in their head, but to me at demand drive doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other points Grayson made about it that I think is really important to remember, especially with email is that if it's not the right time, it's not the right time. So you can send the perfect email that's perfectly relevant, that intrigues them. Maybe even there is a need, but like if there's no budget, whatever, like if the timing is bad, they're almost never going to respond, which is a big difference between phone and email. Whereas like if they pick up and you can start sort of ask the right probing questions, you might even at least have a conversation. Even if the time is bad, if the timing's bad on an email, you're not going to hear back. That's just 0.1% of the time, maybe. Um, so I think that was another important thing, especially when you're, and if you're a manager out there or you're building out cadences or trying to AB test anything, you really do want to make sure you have that volume of data and that the, the variables are set or, or set correctly, at least so that you can say, Hey, this messaging didn't work, not because it's a bad time. This messaging didn't work because of these actual factors. And that's something that I sort of pivoted here in my points, but when you're testing messaging, when you're crafting these emails and sending them out, you, you need to be able to know why they're working or why they're not working, which does take a keen eye. Maybe you need uh, a big nerd to analyze that sort of data. But um, either way, like working with too small of a sample size is another mistake people can make where they're like, I thought I was being relevant, but clearly I wasn't. And it's like, well, maybe you were, but it just the timing wasn't right. Yeah, he, he said something along the lines of, and I do want to get to that big nerd point real quick, but he said something along the lines of like, People treat cold email a lot like they treat cold calling. And that could, you know, they are two totally separate, like, activities. You're saying the salesperson treats yes. calling. Yes. Yeah. Because when you're, when you're cold calling someone, like you said, if you get them on the phone, then you can figure stuff out real time. I, and I'm not the only one who does this, I personally curate my inbox where if I see something come through, I immediately eyeball scan, is this worth my time now? Is this worth my time in the future or is it not worth my time at all? And I will bucket that accordingly. And if it's not worth my time now and I bucket you and I forget about you, then you didn't reach me. Like, I don't know you. I don't have a recognition of, of what you do or who you are, um, even if it's something that I desperately need, like you were saying, and I could totally forget about you. And then the SDR thinks, well, that message didn't resonate. Truth is, I just didn't see it because I've already filed you away as I'll deal with you in like three months. Maybe that SDR is not even there in three months. Who knows? Uh, but that big nerd point, man, that is good stuff. It's it's a little 
pull back the curtain behind the scenes moment where we we ran the script that we we um the talking points through some ai tools that we have and it pulls out key insights talking points etc from the conversation and grayson talked about hiring someone who was a big nerd to to work with alignment and making sure that the messaging that sdrs are sending out gets pushed into a feedback loop back to leadership who then creates better messaging who pushes it back to sdrs and and creates this like alignment cycle um he described it as having a big nerd do that and be able to look at spreadsheets and figure out like why a message is resonating. Is it time-based? Is it the message itself? Uh, and for some reason, the AI really latched onto that and really thinks that every company should hire a big nerd to be the bridge between SDR and leadership when it comes to creating effective messaging. So I think that's my other big takeaway is hire a big nerd. Hire a big nerd. It's no longer called a sales ops specialist. It's just being nerd. That's a big nerd. Yeah. All right, AJ, 15 seconds. Tell everybody about opt-in. Opt-in, quick five-ish minute videos, actionable sales development tips, minimal fluff. You can find us on YouTube, on LinkedIn, on our Instagram, and on the website, demanddrive.com. Oh, cut it. Big cut nerds, it. baby. Big nerds. It's like when you have a nerds are open, it's way bigger. Big nerds. Wait, what? It's like when you get a box of nerds, but they're all oh. bigger. Just big nerds. I bet they've made those before. I bet that at one point they made big nerds. They made, they made a licorice rope covered in them. They have to at some point have just been like, let's make them bigger. Yeah.